let's do a new psalm tonight. This one is a little happier than uh, some of the ones we've looked at. We're going to look at Psalm 21. And um, the way that we look at this psalm is it apparently is connected. Psalm 21 and Psalm 20 are connected, which would mean that in Psalm 20, David's in trouble asking for the Lord's help. He got it. And then in Psalm 21, he's just praising the Lord and rejoicing over uh, the intervention of God and the victory that God has uh, given to him. So that uh, brings up a question. Okay, and the question would be then that um, are you praying and asking for God's power when you're under attack? And you shouldn't even have to ask that, but we do because all of us tend to have this uh, thought that we can handle it. I've been here before. I've been through this before. I know what I'm doing. I know how to handle it. But the truth is, no matter where you are, no matter what your situation is, you always need God's power or you'll be tripped up. You'll be defeated. The arm of flesh, the old hymn says, will fail you. You dare not trust your own. But yet we have this tendency to trust in ourselves and our ability and our spirituality and our knowledge and our experience, all of that, when we need to turn to the Lord. And we need to turn to the Lord quickly, not, not wait, not, uh, you know, kind of uh, lollygag around and then ask Him for help at the last minute, but turn to Him first, turn to Him uh, in, in a way that, that shows we trust Him, we have faith in Him, that we need Him. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And that means that we don't just take the big things, the important things, or anything like that. We take everything to Him. So, do you pray and ask God's power when you're under attack? I hope you do. But here's another question. And this is every bit as important. All my life and in my ministry... I've, uh, whether it's been in churches, whether it's been in Sunday school classes, uh, anybody have any prayer requests? And there's usually a lull. And uh, then somebody says, well, you know, would you pray for my uh, aunt's cousin's niece's dog? He uh, had a toenail removed today. Okay. We have anybody else? And then we get some other people that we don't really know or understand. And then somebody feels guilty, like I need to share something. And so by the time we get through, we have, you know, a good number of things to pray for. And so we try to pray for them. Do you know how rare it is to ever hear any follow-up? Nobody tells you when the person got well. Pastor, pray for me and my wife. She's causing trouble, and I don't know if we're going to make it. Okay, I'll do that, and I'll go to prayer for you. Might even fast for you. This is an important thing. And then six months later, whatever happened in all of that, she's still around. Oh, we got it worked out that weekend. Well, tell somebody. If you're going to ask somebody to pray about something, then tell them. Follow up whenever things go well. If they get well and they're home from the hospital, tell us. If the problem resolved itself, tell us. And above all of that, thank the Lord for it. Because I've got a feeling what I just described there also describes the way we are when we are in trouble. We cry out to the Lord, Oh God, I've got to have your help. Oh God, defeat the enemy. Oh God, work this out. 
And then when it works out, we go, well, that worked out. Almost as if we were saying, huh, wasted time on praying. It worked out itself. And that's not the case. We need the Lord and we need him all the time and in every situation. And so I appreciate the fact that David in Psalm 20, he makes a plea to the Lord, a desperate plea to the Lord. And then when we get to Psalm 21, man, he is shouting for joy and he's sharing the victory. So you don't have any doubt God did what he said he would do. And I'm afraid sometimes the way we act and the way we share prayer requests and then don't do any follow-up, does it give younger people the idea that, well, things just work themselves out and we don't really uh, waste our time by praying on it because, you know, it was all okay anyway. But when we come back and we share our answered prayers and we rejoice in the Lord and give Him praise and go to Him and tell Him thanks... It cements in the minds of people that, are, that we are with that God is active in our lives, God answers prayer, and we should be quick to give the Lord thanks when He gives us victory. And so we need to be just as quick to praise, rejoice, and give thanks as we were to ask for help. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul, in writing about the last days, he says this, and it's germane to our point. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And then the very next one is unthankful. And we find ourselves kind of getting into that groove of, well, God's just doing what he should have done or what I ask him to do. Why should I really praise him? Now, you know better than that, and I know better than that, so why don't we do what we know that we need to do? Because we don't want to fit into these latter-day unthankful people. That's kind of where the root comes. I guess if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, that uh, the first question that the serpent asked Eve, did God say that you... Uh, can't eat of the trees of the garden. Oh, no, we can eat of all of them well except for that one. And there's kind of a root of unthankfulness in Eve and Adam's heart at that point. Everything God had given them, just, you know, not good enough. Wasn't quite up to standard. Wasn't quite what they wanted. But, oh, if I could eat from that one tree. And I think there's a lot of temptation that comes up whenever you get unthankful for your wife, unthankful for your husband, unthankful for your paycheck, unthankful for your home, unthankful for your automobile, unthankful for your clothes. And that's why the Bible stresses so much that we are to be, con uh, we are to be content. But contentment does not mean that we are to be apathetic or passive either. We ought to be rejoicing in the Lord and giving thanks to Him in every situation. Uh, think about Luke chapter 17. Jesus saw some lepers and they cry out to him, heal us. And he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they walk to the temple, as the, every step they take, their, their leprosy is healed. And you remember the story in that, in Luke 17, 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks there we go and he was a Samaritan you got to be kidding me 
The Jews didn't stop and say thank you, but the Samaritan was grateful to come back to the Lord. Verse 17, so Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So, are we like that when the Lord answers our prayer? That, that would he say if he were here in the flesh? Where'd they go? How come none of them have come back to say thank you except for the most unexpected one? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There we go. If we're not thankful and we're not giving thanks and we're not returning that thankfulness to the Lord, we're out of the will of God, no matter what else we may do, no matter how often we may come to church, no matter how big our offering may be, no matter how many times we help somebody. If we are not thankful, according to what Paul said here, we are out of the will of God. So if you want to be in the will of God, be a thankful person. But we just tend to act like entitled, spoiled brats, uh, when you look at a little kid and they don't get up and say, wow, are we going to eat today? They just expect it. And a lot of times you have to make them say thank you. Tell your mother thank you for what she made for you this morning. And they look like it's a pain for them to do that or they really aren't all that thankful. And I'm uh, wondering, do we act the same way? Do we ask God for help and then fail to thank him? And that's what this psalm is all about. So, Psalm 21. And we'll uh, look at verse 1. We'll go down to, I believe it's verse 6. Okay. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Oh, why do we want to stop there? Because if we're not careful, we think we deserve what David just uh, described. We think that it's no big deal. I mean, God just did it well, isn't he supposed to? And we don't really stop and think we are unworthy of any of his attention at all. And the fact that he would love us, give his son for us, save us, and then answer our prayer on top of all of that, my goodness, just stop and think. The God who put those stars that are outside in place heard your prayer. The God who keeps the universe from falling apart, flying apart, answered your prayer. Who am I that he would listen to me, that he would hear me? And yet David says, stop and think about that. God did not withhold the request of my lips what do you think about that? Selah. Now verse 3. He goes on. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory 
is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. Verse 6. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Now you get the idea that David's happy. You get the idea that David's relieved. You get the idea that David is not taking any of the credit for himself. He's not sitting around saying, man, what a great battle plan I had. Oh, did you see the way that I used my sword against that Philistine? Did you see how the captains did exactly what I said and we defeated that army? He's not doing that at all. David is looking at this as though God directly intervened in his life and the only reason he's still on the throne, the only reason he is still able to uh, be vertical, the only reason that he is able to have any uh, extension of his life is because God preserved him. It kind of gives you the idea that David in the midst of battle thought he was as good as dead. He wasn't sure he was going to make it out of it. Now he's out of it. He's back home. He's back on his throne. And he's out of his battle armaments and is uh, back on with his royal robes. And things are going back to normal. They're resolving. The enemy is gone. Trade is coming in and out of the gates of the city. And uh, all of those kind of things that had stopped before. And David is just beside himself because he knows this was not a coincidence. This was no accident. This was not just something that kind of happened to happen. He knows it is a result of the intervention of God and he is beside himself because this is what he asked God and trusted God for. Now he can give God glory. You see, one of the things <coughs> that we need to be careful about when we pray I hear people say all the time, well, tell me how to pray so I can pray specifically. My question would be, why? Well, I need to tell God what's going on. You think God doesn't know? You think that if, you, if you're not specific, God will go, well, that wasn't on the list. You didn't ask me to do that. So uh, don't get upset about it. It's kind of like if I go to the grocery store and Sammy wanted me to get bananas, but they're not on the list, then it's not my fault. Is that the way God is? You didn't say it. That doesn't sound like a sovereign, all-knowing God to me. I don't think it's about, I've got to get all of this in time and place and person and situation, and I've got to name everybody involved or God won't do anything. I don't find that anywhere in the Scripture. In fact, if you'll look at the Lord's Prayer sometime, how nonspecific is that? And that's the way Jesus taught us to pray. He said, well, then is it wrong to be specific? No. But I don't think, and listen carefully... I don't think that's for God's benefit. I think that's for ours. See, if I just go, Oh, Father, uh, bless the president. Good prayer. We ought to pray that. He needs it. But how do I know if it ever happened? How do I know if it was ever answered? I don't. But if I pray, Dear Lord, save Joseph Biden's soul. Bring him to repentance and faith in Christ. And all of a sudden my phone goes off and uh, there's some news organization saying Joseph R. Biden has announced that he has become an evangelical born-again Christian. Well, now I know. And I know because of the specificity of what I prayed. Oh God, just bless the whole world. 
Anything wrong with that? No. But I never know when that is answered. I never know when anything happens. Okay, Lord, bring peace to Israel, please. And I pray that over and over. And they announce that there's a victory and that Israel is one. Now I know the prayer is answered. Oh, God, bless all the Jews in Israel. I have no idea when that's answered. Are you catching on? The specificity in prayer is so that we might know when the prayer is answered so we can do what David did in Psalm 21. And if you go back and read Psalm 20 and you see just what was going on and what he was asking for, David did not have to guess. I wonder if the Lord answered my prayer. Maybe this is an answer to prayer. Uh, maybe not. Who cares? And go on with life. No, he knew. So I want to challenge you. Whenever you think about praying specifically, please don't do it because you think that's going to make your prayer better or more answerable to God or you're filling God in on what's going on so he knows how to answer it. That makes you the boss. That makes you the planner. That makes you the one that uh, God is accountable unto. You don't want to do that. But whenever you pray, go before the Lord and pray specifically enough so that you know when he has answered your prayer and then you can have joy and maybe our prayers are so vague and we don't have enough joy and we don't really know if prayers have been answered and we're not all that happy and not rejoicing like David is because we're not really absolutely sure or for certain on all of that does that make sense think about it why do you pray specifically do it for yourself so you know how to answer uh, praise God for answered prayer. Now, the uh, first point we want to get out of these verses is found in verse 1. And uh, it says this, The only reason you came through your trial, the only reason you came through your trial is the answered prayer. That's, that's kind of what the theme is. We tend to think we just muddled through, we stumbled through, and uh, oh boy, we just made it through. Do you realize the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. What would he do to you if it were not for the direct intervention of God? Well, we'd have mass funerals, wouldn't we? We'd be dead. You'd be dead. The enemy wants to kill you. The enemy, if he had that power and had that opportunity, he would take you out tonight. Well, I've been through some rough times and I've been through some valleys. Anybody besides me ever been through the valley of the shadow of death? like David did in Psalm 23. And yet he says in there, I will feel, fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We've all been through the valleys. And the only reason we make it through is because of answered prayer. The only reason we make it through is because of the Lord. The enemy would do anything he could, and he would do that if he had permission to do so think about job chapter one he couldn't touch job until god gave him permission and god even brought job up well what if he brings you up and what if he points you out and what if you come under attack what if you're going through uh through a trial and going through a valley well if the enemy has his way you won't come out on the other side you won't go through the valley of the shadow of death you'll be stuck there and you'll die there but uh, you find here that the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly 
shall he rejoice. He's not nonchalant about any of this at all. He recognizes the only reason he is still alive and hasn't assumed room temperature is because of God. So the king is joyful in the Lord's strength, not his own. It's the Lord's strength. And the Lord delivered him by giving him strength. Sometimes we want to say, oh Lord, I'm in this trial. Get me out of this. And sometimes the Lord says, no, I'm not moving the mountain, but I will give you strength to climb it. Don't like that one all the time. You mean I still have to climb that thing? Just move it. Nope, I'm giving you strength. Take one step at a time. I want you to learn something as you climb the mountain or as you cross the desert. I'm not going to make it just automatically go away. That'd be too easy, and you're spoiled enough as it is. I want to make you tough. I want to make you strong. I want you to, to have your faith build up. I want you to depend upon me. And so we trudge through the desert. Why didn't God answer my prayer? I can't believe this. I prayed so hard, and God didn't answer my prayer. What's wrong with me? Why isn't he doing anything? And then you find yourself all of a sudden out of the desert, and you're at an oasis, and you're drinking the water, and you're being refreshed, and your camels are being refreshed as well, and uh, you don't even stop to think. God gave you strength, and that's why you made it through the desert, and that's why you're drinking the water out of the oasis. It's a gift from God. But in your mind, because God didn't give you air conditioning in the desert and because God didn't make the sand like solid ground for you to walk on, because God didn't take away the heat and give you something to carry along so you could have a cold drink anytime you want it, ah, God didn't answer my prayer. See how babyish we are? God gave you strength to cross the desert. God gave you strength to climb the mountain. You made it through you should rejoice that's how he answered your prayer by giving you the strength to go through it so the fact that god would equip him for victory that's what gave him joy we pout god didn't do it right god didn't do it the way we wanted it god didn't do it in the time we wanted it so we pouted david would say hey come on grow up and see what god really has done and start rejoicing if we only knew if we only knew Number two, notice that the king was thankful that his prayer was answered. It was not just, you owe me, God. After all, you made a covenant with me. And uh, by the way, God, you do remember that out of me comes a Messiah, so you can't do this without me. David didn't act like that, did he? David acted as though it was an honor to know God. David acted as though it was an honor for God to do anything in his life, much less through his descendants. And David always had that uh, idea. You have given him, it says in verse 2, you've given him his heart's desire. When David looked at all of this, he didn't see a battle. He saw a victory. And the victory is what was in his heart. And this is what he had prayed for. And God's heart was matched up with David's heart. And David's heart is matched up with God's heart. And you always get your prayers answered then. And David wasn't pouting about it. You didn't do it the right way or soon enough or whatever. But there he is. And he said, and you have not held the request of his lips. Now, that gives me the idea that even with somebody like David, he didn't get all of his prayers answered the way he wanted them to all the time. You know, sometimes God says no. You know, sometimes God says wait. Those are both answers. See, in my mind, the only time God answers prayer is when he says, yes, but that's not true. David got some no's. David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And you know what the Lord said to that request? 
No. Well, that's not fair. I mean, after all, aren't I a man after God's own heart? Aren't I the one that unified the tribes? Aren't I the one that moved the capital to Jerusalem? Aren't I the one that overcame all of the garbage and the sinfulness of Saul? Hey, what's going on here? And you won't let me build you a temple? No. I'll let your son do it. And you can gather materials for him. Well, that's not exactly what David had in mind. But in this case... Everything David asked for in the midst of the battle, it has come to pass, and David is ecstatic over all of it. So as you walk with the Lord, grow up. And don't think that God is accountable to you, and that you are the one who can call the shots, and it's God's job to get them done. Understand, He's the sovereign one. He's the Lord. He controls your life. Sometimes... You're going to pray to him with all your heart. And it's going to be sincere. And it may even be a good prayer. I don't think David was sinning by wanting to build a temple to you. But God said no. That's not your time. That's not your place. That's not your situation. And there may be a lot of times where you pray for something. And the Lord says not now. He may say not you. And then there may be those times when he says granted go for it. And we ought to be excited whenever that happens because we didn't make that happen. That came from the direct intervention of the Lord. And whenever God answers your prayer, I don't care what it is. If you pray in the morning, give us this day our daily bread. And then you sit down and you have a bologna sandwich at lunch. You probably ought to be thankful for that. He answered your prayer, didn't he? We don't think about that. Well, that's just, just normal. Everybody has a, has a sandwich. I wish I had a steak instead of bologna here. And God says, hey, I answered your prayer. You're not hungry. You're carrying on another day. You go to bed with a full stomach. That's an answered prayer. Yeah, but it wasn't what I want. That's not the issue. The issue is, did he do it? Think about that. And that's why David said, Selah, God did it. God did it. And so he did not pray to avoid the battle, but his prayer, his heart's desire was, see me through the battle, bring me out on the other side. And here he is, now he's back on the throne, and it even says that uh, they put a crown on his head. That's a big, big deal, because a lot of people die in battles, especially back then. They didn't have a lot of the uh, medical technology or anything to help as we do now, David understood. He was on the shadow, he was in the valley of the shadow of death, and the Lord brought him through. God answered the prayer. And David is excited because that's a great thing when God does that. And the fact that God would be kind to us, be so kind to us, and hear the cry of our heart, I mean, that caused David just to get ecstatic in his walk with the Lord. Why are we so nonchalant about all of that? Number three, notice that victory is another opportunity to glorify God. And it says in verse three, for you meet him with the blessings of goodness and you set a crown of pure gold on his head. My first thought was, well, didn't he already have one? What's that all about? In verse four, he asked life from you and you gave it to him strength of days forever and ever okay now obvious that last part of it is simply this 
you did not have to wake up this morning. And you don't have to wake up tomorrow. God has not promised us uh, tomorrow, has he? Now, he probably will. And he has so far. And if you've got as many years on you as I do, man, there have been lots of opportunities over my life where the Lord could have taken me home. But he hadn't. He sustained me. And he sustained you. And that's true, really, of everybody. Not just people who are sick. Not just people who are old. It's true of everybody. Every day is a gift from God. Every breath is a gift from God. Every heartbeat is a gift from God. But, no, that's just supposed to happen. The doctor listens to your heart through the stethoscope. Ah, it sounds good. And you go, yeah, well, isn't it supposed to? It's like that person that went to a football game. They didn't know much about football and everybody was cheering. Why is everybody cheering? Well, did you see that hit that they made on that guy and they stopped him and they didn't get a first down? And she said, well, isn't that what they're supposed to do? And isn't that the way we are? We act as though God just, well, he was just supposed to do that. And then in life, my body's working. Well, isn't that what it's supposed to do? I had lunch today. Aren't I supposed to? And we don't realize just how fragile we really are. And we forget just how good God really is. The little kids pray, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And some of them have more than that. When you think about it, everything God does can be boiled down to those two things. Everything God does is because of His greatness and because of His goodness. And we, as children of God, have tasted of both. His greatness in, in our creation, His greatness in sustaining us, His greatness in giving His Son to die on the cross for us, and His goodness of letting us partake in the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. Hallelujah. God is great and God is good in our own lives. But we forget all that. You freak your doctor out if he said, your heart sounds good, and you go, hallelujah. Right? Might give you a chance to witness too. My life is not in your hand and it's not from the pills you give me. My life is in the hand of God. And David understood that, and that's what those verses are all about. God supplies us with blessings. We get wisdom, we get friends, we get strength to endure, and we make it through and we get the victory. Now notice he said, you put a crown on my head. That's not because David was just now becoming king. He's been king a long time. What was happening here? Well, David had been in battle. I wonder if we would have so many wars if our presidents had to go to battle. Because back in David's day, the king had to lead the charge. The king had to be out in front. He inspired all the troops for the king and for our country. And they would go because the king was out there. And he was there on his horse and he was tall and he looked good on the horse. And they were inspired and they would go to die for their king. Okay. Well, now the war is over and they come back. I wonder what David wore when he was out there in battle. I don't think that the picture is he's out there with a gold crown and white robes and all of that. I think David would have had on armor. He would have had on his battle uniform, battle gear. And instead of a crown, he probably would have had a helmet to protect him. But now that he's back, the war is over. He's back in Jerusalem. Oh, 
Isn't it great to be back in Jerusalem? Oh, king, we're going to make you a, a meal. We have a feast for you. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so tired of those uh, MREs that we had out in the field. Oh, and by the way, you can go ahead and take your helmet off, David. Sit down on the throne. Here's the crown. And they put the crown upon him because he was no longer in battle. He was done with the battle. Now he could wear the crown. In fact, one commentator said, the crown that they put on him may have been, you ready? The crown of the king he defeated. That king's out of power. That king's history. We won. And they bring that and let David wear the fine gold crown of the enemy that he has conquered. You know, when we talk about the coronation day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what that's going to be like to crown him with many crowns and to uh, hear him declared to be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords? Why? The battle's over. Jesus has won. Jesus is Lord. It really is finished. That's not just a saying on the cross. One day, because of his grace, you're going to see the culmination of the battle and the coronation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And perhaps David will get to put the crown on his head. I don't know that, but maybe. And maybe it's the crown that the enemy tried to claim. And the Lord said, nope, this belongs to my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so length of days, that would mean something because David in battle was always in peril of, of his life. Kings died in battle. Soldiers were wounded in battle. Sometimes they didn't come home even if they were the king. David understood when he's back in Jerusalem, back on his throne, has the crown put on his head, he understands that's not by accident. That's by the divine providence of God. And so there David is, understanding, the only reason my heart's beating, the only reason my lungs are breathing, the only reason I can move or do anything is because it was granted to me by God. That'll make you think differently about every day. And so the victory gave him more time to live, more time to serve God, and every victory is a piece of heaven and a piece of eternity. Every victory is a piece of heaven. Because in heaven it will be stretched out and it will be forever. But down here we get little glimpses. Little battles that we win. Little things that we come through. Little peace. A little taste of heaven. Savor those things church. And number four. Answered prayer brings humility and it glorifies God. I uh, don't think that people who really know the Lord strut and brag whenever they get a prayer answered i think they're like david they're humbled why should they hear me who am i i'm a nobody i'm just a sinner and i'm saved by the grace of god and i've been exalted by the lord of course but when i see myself and when i look in the mirror i don't see anything special i don't think of myself as anything special and yet god himself has heard me God has given me his strength for this trial. And I've made it through by the grace of God. And now I want to glorify the God who gave me such grace. Verse 5 and 6 says, His glory is great in your salvation. The deliverance David had from the war is what that means. 
honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. And you have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. Can you imagine God just showing up makes you happy? I went home today after work and we had several of our grandkids over. And I stepped out on the back patio and I heard a little two-year-old go, Big G, Big G, Big G. And she ran to me and I got to pick her up. It was Charlotte. And she was so happy. You ever get happy? What about the presence of God? What about the presence of God? David said, all I have to do is be around my father. And I have unspeakable joy. We want our father to give us toys. We want our father to give us presents. We want our father to give us what we want, when we want it, how we want it. David said, you ought to just be joyful to be in his presence. Don't you wonder what's wrong with us? That we're not moved by that? That we don't rejoice in that? And it shows a lot of immaturity. So your salvation is filled with God's glory. Heaven came down and what filled my soul? Glory. The moment you were saved, the glory of God came to reside in you. And you were in the glory of God and the glory of God was in you, just like David talks about. And inner, any honor for the king is given by God. Why does David have that crown? Why does he have servants? Why does he have a kingdom? Why does he have a palace? Why does he have a city? Why does he have a nation to rule? Why did the ten tribes that weren't real big on a, somebody from the tribe of Judah ruling them, why did they coalesce and come together and say, okay, we'll submit to you? Why did all that happen? Why did they have a united kingdom in Israel? Why in the world did that take place? Why David? David wasn't perfect. We know that. Why David? Well, same reason we could say for Joseph Biden. Same thing that we could say for Kevin Stitt. Same thing that we could say for uh, David Holt. All of these kind of things are not by accident. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. They don't know it. They don't acknowledge it. And if they do, it's just with a you know, lip service. Doesn't matter a whole lot. But David knew it. And we should know it. And we should understand that any authority that we have, God gives you authority maybe in the home. That's a gift from God. That's not because you're so great. That's a gift from God. Any authority or promotions you get at work, that's a gift from God. You ought to praise Him for that. That's not because you're so great. That's because God is so great and God also is so good. And oh, that the nations could see this. Oh, that the leaders of the world could see this. Oh, that the president of China could understand this. Oh, that the president of Russia could understand this. Oh, that the premier of Cuba and North Korea and places like that could understand this. Oh, that the dictators and the mullahs and those in Iran and other places like that in the Muslim world, if they could see this, how different would it be? And oh, 
if people could see this, how different would our presidential campaigns be? You might see a little bit of humility instead of all of the, look what I did, look what I did, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. No, you might see somebody actually say, by the grace of God, I was elected president. And I was able to serve the people of the United States of America. Man, wouldn't that make headlines? Wouldn't that be different? And wouldn't it be refreshing? But they're not going to do that unless God does something in their life. That's why we're to pray for them. And that's why we also are to be salt and light in our land. Because God has done far more to bless us and answered far more prayers for us than we could even imagine. We've forgotten about a lot of them. May it be that as quick as we are to say, oh God, I need your help. May we also be even quicker to say, oh God, thank you, praise you glorify you and honor you it mentions in here in these last few verses about being most blessed and it reminded me of ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ you think you're a loser you're super blessed by a holy God. And we talk about joy. Where do we get joy? Well, we get joy when we get money. We get joy when we get a raise. We get joy when we get stuff. We get joy when we have material possessions. Well, actually, the Bible says in John 15, verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. By this, answering prayer, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And so while we mess around asking God for all of these piddly little things, God is saying, why don't you just abide in me? And why don't you just bear fruit? And why don't you get excited about the spiritual fruit that you get ready to bear and why don't you bear it for my glory and why don't you make that the object of your prayer instead of all the toys that you're wanting instead of all of the trinkets that you're wanting that you won't even be able to find a year from now why don't you ask for what really matters instead of like some of my grandchildren that will give them a gift and they won't be able to find half of it a year from now we understand that and expect that from children, don't we? What's our excuse for not rejoicing and thanking the Lord at all times? Because He has been faithful and He has brought us through. That is why we are here tonight. And all God's people said, yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we are ungrateful so often. Forgive us. And I pray that you would give us a thankful heart. We don't have to have clean air, but we do. We don't have to have an abundance of clean water, but we do. We don't have to have a nearly endless variety of what we can eat for supper tonight, but we do. We don't have to have a job, but we do. We don't have to have any income, 
but we do. We don't have to live in freedom to gather and worship tonight, but we do. And we're thankful for that. We don't have to have any friends, but we do. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you. You have been so incredibly good to us. Help us to recognize it, to see it, and to be grateful like David was. And as quick as we are to cry out to you for you to do something and intervene, let us be even quicker to say thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.